You're listening to the HFO Multifamily Market Watch podcast. Apartment owners who need to know trust HFO, the leading source for multifamily information in Oregon and Washington. Welcome back to HFO's Multifamily Market Watch podcast. It's Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. I'm Mike Pierce, HFO Research Analyst. This week, we are proud to announce a special presentation that we give only once a year. Today, we have Dr. John Mitchell from our 2022 roundtable discussing the commercial real estate market in Portland in 2022. And with that, I give you Dr. John Mitchell. Welcome back. You're watching HFO TV. HFO TV is co-sponsored by J.R. Johnson LLC, specialists in multifamily restoration and repair work. Gantry Incorporated, the nation's largest independent mortgage banking firm. Butler Exchange Group, offering 1031 tax-free exchange services and forensic building consultants, experts in the diagnosis, repair, and preservation of multifamily assets. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's very nice to be here in this extraordinary economic time. I've entitled my remarks this morning, 21 months in, buoyant demand, restrained supply, and policy flux. Um, Here we are in January 2022. The output recovery is over. We've surpassed pre-recession levels of production. A new generation is being introduced to inflation. I wonder if it's time to whip out our win buttons. Some of you might remember the whip inflation now from the 1970s. Labor markets under stress. In November, we had a 4.2% unemployment rate, about 1.4 jobs for every unemployed person, uh, if you look look at the data. We're seeing major policy changes, both fiscal policy and monetary policy. Uh, fiscal policy, the taxing and spending, monetary policy, the actions by the Federal Reserve. And here we are in Oregon, a recession, and you're going to get a kicker this year. Those of you who have been around a while know that's not the norm. Uh, in recessions, normally Oregon's revenue plummets. Legislature has to go into special session, but not this, not this time. We're 21 months into the upturn. You know, this is not a young expansion, okay? We're living with COVID. A COVID pandemic is now turning into endemic COVID. We're going to have to learn to live with it. There will be new variants uh, coming over time. We'll probably have to continue to get shots. If you think back to the Friday after Thanksgiving, we might call that Omicron Black Friday because we were introduced uh, to the Omicron variant, which started to get uh, a lot of press, and you saw markets plummet uh, that day. I mean, that may be a preview of things that happen in the future. From a rental policy standpoint, the policy issues that we talked about last year, okay, you know, have not been fully resolved, okay? Uh, We're taping this before the Oregon special session to deal with eviction. Uh, There are unresolved issues out there that uh, your industry faces. Well, first, let's look at the basics. If we look at the national economy, we had two quarters of decline uh, in 2020. You can see on the slide the dramatic decline in the second quarter 
of 2020, then the surging rebound in the third quarter, and we've been up ever since. Okay. The most recent quarter, the data we have, the third quarter of 2021, okay, you see a 2.1% growth rate. It slowed significantly. Consumer spending mirrors that. Okay, you see the tremendous decline, then the then the surge that came that came later, slowed down in the third quarter, basically reflecting uh, the spread of the Delta variant. From an employment perspective, and employment obviously gets a lot of attention. We saw the dramatic decline you can see there uh, in April of 2020 where we lost over 21 million jobs in one month. But then it turned around and started to go up in May, okay? And with one exception, it's been up every month since that point in time. The most recent data is November. We had a net increase in employment, uh, payroll jobs of 210,000. But the interesting thing about the labor market there's about 5.9 million people who are not in the labor force, and that means they're not employed and they're not looking for a job actively, but they want a job. There's about 4.3 million people who are uh, part-time uh, for economic reasons. They'd like to be full-time. The participation rate, that's the fraction of the adult population that is in the labor force it's 61.8%, that's what it was in November. But prior to the pandemic, it was 63.3%. That's a, about 3.8 million people who are missing. There are currently uh, over 10 million job vacancies, and we're still 3.9 million jobs below where we were when the pandemic uh, in the pre-pandemic February of 2020. The interesting question, a very important question for the national economy is where did the people go? Okay, will they be back? Okay, that decline in the participation rate, which you can see on the side of that, uh, of, of that slide, the participation rate declined and has only come part way back, okay? People, economists will be looking at this for a long time. Some of it's closed schools, you know, homeschooling, daycare issues, that keep people, that kept people out. Old baby boomers, many retired, but what changed is there, there's a flow out of the labor force for retirement and then a flow back into the labor force of retirees, and that's what has slowed what has slowed down for that uh, demographic. Will they be back? The extra unemployment comp. Remember, everybody remembers when you got an extra $600 a week uh, back in 2020. That later went down to 300. Now it's gone. There are other enhancements to food stamps, the child credit, that sort of thing that are still, that are still there. And so some argue that People weren't working because of, because of the benefits, but that uh, has diminished. Fear, fear of getting the, the virus. Some have quit because of mandates to get vaccinated. The prioritization, Derek Thompson, who writes for The Atlantic, 
has an interesting notion, a crack in workism. Workism meaning that work plays the central role in our lives. This pandemic has forced us to perhaps look at other things, okay? Uh, and so maybe it's a crack in workism and people have changed preferences. Structural adjustment. We're doing things differently. People aren't eating out the way that they were, okay? Jobs disappear from some areas, are created in other areas, but that takes time. Changes in immigration flows, the financial flows. You know, look, it's fun to get 401k statements and look at the stock market now uh, because those things have gone up dramatically. Home prices have risen dramatically. People have more savings. That may enable them to drop out of the labor force. A lot of interesting possibilities there. Inflation is back in the news after a long period where it was not a big deal. Uh, in October, the consumer price index year over year was up 6.2%. The November data came out after I had to do this presentation and it moved up to 6.8%. You can see on the graph, very low rates of inflation, you know, below 1% on a year over year basis back in the spring of 2020. But you'll remember during the, the worst part of the pandemic, you know, energy prices plummeted, airfares, hotel rooms, all that kind of stuff. Well, that pulled down the rate of inflation, then it bounced back up, and then you can see how it has soared. Uh, it has soared uh, this, this year, okay? And now, again, we're talking a lot about inflation. Remember what it is. Inflation is an ongoing increase in the general price level. The Fed's target for inflation, and they like to use something called the Personal Consumption Expenditure Price Index, their target's been 2%. Well, we're now well over that, okay? It is a significant issue. But the whys, the whys, some of it's simple arithmetic. You get a year past the worst part of the pandemic recession when energy prices, airline fares had plummeted, you get a year past that, they're bouncing back toward to normal levels and that's gonna give you a bump in inflation. Then you've heard a lot about the supply chain. We have a global supply chain. The COVID has disrupted that in a connected world uh, and that's put upward pressure on the price level. I like to use the analogy of broken plumbing. You know, most of the time, we just assume that the plumbing is gonna be okay. Uh, you, you know, in your house or you go to the grocery store and you assume that the shelves are gonna be full. They always have been, okay? We forget about all that goes on behind that, okay? Uh, coordination, moving raw materials, product, well, that, that plumbing is disrupted, okay? And it's gonna take a while to fix. The reopening, you know, countries around the world stimulated their economies in an effort to boost activity and deal with COVID. That reopening has put upward pressure on, for example, some commodity prices. Then macroeconomic policy. Back in the spring of 2020, the 
problem was, double-digit unemployment, plummeting output, and you saw policymakers rush in with fiscal policy, stimmies, uh, expanded unemployment compensation, interest rates went down, uh, went down close to zero. Lots of stimulus was applied to deal with that problem. But here we are uh, in early 22, 2022, and we've got supply problems, constrained supply. It's a different problem, but a lot of that stimulus is still out there, okay? And that would put upward pressure on the price level. People have lots of savings. Wealth has gone up. That's raw material for spending. People have changed their preferences. They're doing relatively less services, more stuff, whether it's computers, Pelotons, they want cars. Uh, it's changed the structure of demand. Then we've got this random event stew. Now, that always happens. I mean, the ever given, getting stuck in the Suez Canal, uh, disrupting uh, the, flow, uh, the flow of commerce. Droughts in South America, the freezes in, uh, and blizzards in Texas that disrupted the petrochemical business. You know, tariffs, the government putting tariffs on, raising tariffs on Canadian lumber, okay, uh, pushing up the price, price of lumber. I mean, that kind of stuff always goes on. And it, it's happening now. For a lot of people, this isn't really a new experience. Uh, the last time inflation was over 5% on an annual basis was 1990. So, you know, people under about 45 years of age have no recollection of this. Is it transitory? That was a popular word to use, okay? Or is it something more? If it's transitory, it'll go back down, okay? The worry is that it becomes something more and starts to affect behavior. The Federal Reserve, you know, when the pandemic got going, the Fed started its quantitative easing, buying $120 billion per month uh, in treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities, helping to keep interest rates down and keep the markets functioning. In August of 2020, Chairman Powell announced a new operating policy. It's called FATE, Flexible Average Inflation Targeting. What that means is that the Fed, after a period of inflation below target, okay, where you know, their target's been 2% since 2012, and it, most of the time it's been below that, they would tolerate inflation above their target to bring the average up to 2%. We've never done this before, and clearly with inflation now running uh, just under 7%, uh, we are well above that target. What's happening is the Fed is starting to change its policies, okay? Uh, forecasters are moving interest rate increases closer in time. Rather than being after 23, uh, now it's back in to 2022. If we look at the 10-year security, which is on the, on the slide here, you can see in the 10-year, of course, is very important because that's what mortgages are priced off of. You see the tremendous decline during the downturn, bottoming out, going rising, 
declining and then rising, uh, rising again. Okay, so there's a lot of volatility on long-term, long-term interest rates. The Fed will meet okay, in mid-December. Uh, what they have been saying, okay, and I think it's important to, to show their thinking, the committee back in July, August, September, and November okay, uh, have said, we are going to keep the target range for the federal funds at zero to a quarter of a percent and expect that it'll be appropriate to maintain this, maintain this level of interest rate until labor market conditions have reached levels consistent with the Fed's assessment of maximum employment and inflation has risen to 2% and is on track to exceed 2% for some period of time. That's what they said. Well, clearly inflation is exceeding that, okay? The Fed basically has decided they're gonna start reducing the taper. They started in November. Rather than buying $120 billion a month in security, they're gonna cut it back by 15 billion a month. And they may revise that at the December meeting. The Fed has started to become more concerned about inflation. You can see that uh, Chairman Powell's remarks at the end of uh, the end of November, and of course we now have continuity uh, at at the chair. Now, just to show you some of the sort of interesting background stuff, okay? That's a graph of money supply. It's M2, yeah, M1 is cash, okay, checkable deposits, savings accounts. Then M2, you add in money market funds, time deposits, and CDs. What I want you to see, and this is a source of worry for some, you've seen a tremendous increase in the money supply. And the worry is that becomes the raw material for inflation. When the Fed starts to dial back its policies, to, to buy fewer securities, ultimately to raise rates. The interesting question will be, what are the implications for financial markets? Plot prior to the flexible average inflation target, the Fed would have already started to raise rates. So this is a different, this is a different world. From a fiscal policy standpoint, okay, you know, we've never seen this before in a recession in the United States. Since last year, okay, $1.9 trillion was spent in the American Rescue Plan. You remember that? Uh, remember that last spring? More stimmies, state and local government funding, uh, pension bailouts, higher premium subsidies. You all remember that. Then we have the debt ceiling issue. Now that's, you know, been, uh, been stretched out. Now it's been stretched out to, till February. We've had an infrastructure bill passed, about a trillion with money for roads, bridges, public transit, electric charging stations. Uh, Oregon is gonna get about 3.7 billion over five years for highways and bridges, 211 million for airports, 52 million for electric vehicle charging stations and miscellaneous, miscellaneous other. Washington, about 4.7 billion for roads, 1.8 billion for transit, 
100 million for broadband. You can see there's a lot of infrastructure spending out there to come. There is another bill that, when, as we do this, is not final. Okay? The sort of climate change and expansion of the safety net and that has preschool, extended childcare assistance, climate change initiatives, affordable housing, and a corporate minimum tax, increases on taxes for high-income uh, individuals. It's not clear what's going to happen there, when that, when or if that's going to be going to be passed. Deficit last year, last fiscal year, 2.8 trillion down from 3.1 trillion the year before. Now, there's a lot of numbers on this, but there's a, I think there's an important point. And I mentioned earlier that in Oregon, Oregon taxpayers are gonna get a kicker. Last year, in 2020, Oregon personal income rose 8%. Now think about that, an Oregon recession and personal income rose 8%. Transfer payments, that's the stimmies, the extra unemployment comp, enhanced food stamps, they were up 33.4% in 2020. If you look at the quarterly data, and I know it's a lot of numbers, but it's sort of, it's sort of fun. Look at the first quarter of 2021. What that says is personal income rose at an annual rate in Oregon of over 55%. Earnings were up at an annual rate of 1.8%, but transfer payments, 435%. Look at the same thing in, in the second quarter of 2020, the worst quarter. Personal income rose almost 34% at, at an annual rate. Earnings were going down, but look at transfer payments, up at an annual rate of over 600%. You see the way fiscal policy supported income. There's Washington. Personal income up 7.6% uh, in 2020, transfers up 30, uh, essentially 35%. You see the same pattern. Look at the second quarter of 2020, the worst quarter, personal income up at an annual rate over 30%. Second, uh, in the first quarter of 2021, at an annual rate of 50% because of the transfer payments, okay? Households are in pretty interesting shape. The Federal Reserve every quarter does an estimate of net worth of households and nonprofits. And you can see, look at net worth plummeted in the first quarter of 2020. Remember, stock market cratered, you know, with the advent uh, the advent of, of COVID. But then look what happened. The second quarter, net worth rose by almost 8 trillion, then 4 trillion, 8 trillion, 5 trillion, in the second quarter, up almost 6 trillion. That's stock market, okay. that's housing, okay. house prices have risen dramatically, uh, that's increased, uh, increased savings, but net worth has soared. The financial obligations ratio, that's the share of disposable income, income after taxes, that goes for debt, contracted payments like rent, uh, like car leases, 
the financial obligations ratio is down. Okay. Credit quality has been good. Okay. Very different kind of recession. In 2021, now we won't have the final data till later, uh, later in February of 2022, but the upside forces came together. We could talk about vaccine distribution and efficacy, support for monetary and fiscal policy, the global rebound, low inventories. Companies have run down inventories, they have to, re they have to replace them. Balance sheets, consumer balance sheets, business balance sheets strong, the reopenings, those things were upside forces. Now there's some drags. The resurgent Delta virus, we saw that in the, uh, in the late summer and the fall. Okay. Now Omicron, we have an energy shock in the latter part of the year. Inflation and then a response, we'll have to see how that plays out. And the emergency spending okay, was in 20 and early 21. That's fading. But it's going to be 2021 when the final numbers are out, it's going to be a very strong, very strong year. Got to talk about housing. Okay. Well, that's, you're all interested in that. But fascinating thing about housing, it's been like a perfect storm for sellers. Low levels of inventory, strong demand. Okay. Mortgage rates, with that decline in interest rates, you had mortgage rates, many cases, under 3%. Preferences, gee, we've got to get a bigger house or add a room because uh, the kids are having to learn at home. I'm spending half or some working remotely. I need a bigger, bigger office. The millennials are in their home buying demographic. Okay. Case Schiller in September. They tracked the prices of the same homes uh, over time. And Case Schiller in, in, in September made the point that home prices are now almost 49% higher than they were at the peak in July of 2006. Okay. And we're almost 50% higher than that. You got supply chain issues okay, in terms of production. In the third quarter, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, house they look at the same homes over time, mortgages purchased by Fannie and Freddie. House price index, every state was up. Idaho was first at almost 36%. Uh, uh, North Dakota was 50th at 10.49%. Oregon was 16th at 20%. Washington 13th at 2102. You know, Portland 17%, Seattle uh, 18%. Now, the affordability constraint has grown. In 2020, you had falling interest rates, rising incomes that helped maintain affordability. But 2021, okay, uh, you've had, again, continued increase in prices. Interest rates, of course, have started to rise. They've come off their lows. So you have an affordability issue. Okay. The strength in housing is expected to continue okay, because of the underlying demand. But with the affordability constraints, uh, rental demand uh, is supported. Federal Housing Finance Agency does the house price index. And I thought for Oregon and Washington, this might be, might be of interest. Okay. You know, 
they look, this is the third quarter of 2021. Percentage increase, house price index, Bend 30.3, Eugene 22, Medford 21, Portland, Salem, and then unranked cities, uh, Corvallis and Grants Pass. If you look at Washington, okay, you, I've got some of the cities in Washington uh, that HFO serves. You got Kennewick at 19, Longview at 21, Olympia, Olympia 22, Spokane 26, Tacoma 20, almost 22%, Yakima 18%. See, you get the sense of this broad-based increase in housing prices. Now, this is job growth update. And in the years I've been doing this presentation, I, I love to use job growth update. They rank states by employment growth, okay? Now, this is the most recent data, which is October data. And the interesting thing is, all 50 states are growing. We could go back during the depths of this, of this pandemic, and all 50 states were declining. Okay, and then, you know, Idaho and Utah were the first two that got back to positive, positive growth. But now, all 50 are up. Once we got beyond April, okay, which was the, the bottom from, from employment, okay, uh, then you began to see things start to pick up. Washington is fourth, Oregon is 16th. Sort of interesting notice, Hawaii and Nevada are number one and two. But that makes sense because they would have been hit so hard by the decline in leisure and hospitality. Okay. But all 50 states growing. Now, let's look at Oregon. One of the ways I, I like to sort of think about this is, let's call February of 2020 100, okay? There on this slide, you can see by April, okay, Oregon, Oregon employment was down uh, significantly, uh, down to a touch over 85, and then it's just steadily risen, okay? With the decline in December of, December of 2020 with the uh, outbreaks uh, after Thanksgiving. All right, it's continued to rise, but we're not back up to pre-recession levels of employment. In the year to October, uh, Oregon employment up 3.8%. You can see the jump uh, in leisure and hospitality, for example. But it's coming back. But it's, it's a very standard pattern. There's Washington, okay. Same February 2020, defined as 100. You see the decline and then uh, the rebound. But again, not all the way back. In the year of October, uh, up 4.8%. Uh, you know, coming back, but not there, not there yet. If we look at Oregon metropolitan, Oregon metropolitan areas, notice, this is the year to October. That's the change in jobs, the percentage, and then October 21 relative to February of 2020. And it's sort of interesting, you can see. Albany's back above pre-recession levels, Bend is, Grants Pass, Salem, Portland's at about 97, 97.5. Not all the way, not all the way back. Select Washington metros, similar pattern. 
You see the year-over-year -year gains to October. Uh, Kennewick is back, Longview's back, Spokane's back, okay? Others are closing in. So where are we going? Outlook for 2021, growth rate's probably going to come in 5 to 6%. You know, inflation, obviously significantly higher, 5% or more. Uh, next year, the expectation is going to continue. Growth in the 3 to 4%, 4% range. Inflation somewhat lower as if the transitory elements fade. Ironically, at this point, Oregon and Washington are both expected to behave very similarly next year. Uh, employment growth 2 to 2.5% two in 2021 and 4 to 4.5% four in 2022. Lots of uncertainty. Okay. We don't know the courses of the virus. Okay. We don't know all the details on policy. In a quiet moment, okay, thinking about what we've lived through, it was a July-August 2020 issue, or 2021 issue of Foreign Affairs. Talked about the forever virus, that we're going to have to live with this for the rest of our lives. New mutations are going to come from the world's unvaccinated population, and they will spread, spread across the planet. We've got to watch how we've changed. How have we changed in our roles as consumers, investors, decision makers? What happens if the inflation is not transitory? How will the Fed respond and when? I keep thinking about, have we weakened the link between work and income? I use my granddaughter. My granddaughter, old enough to know she got a stimmy, okay, and wanted to turn that into a trampoline, okay? Now, at another time, she might have had to babysit or cut lawns or something, but no, she got a stimmy, which became uh, a trampoline. The family was not impacted from an employment uh, perspective by the pandemic. But I'm just worried about the lesson. We are observing the flexibility of a market system responding to an altered environment, changing the way we do business. Michigan survey uh, by Richard Curtin, a long-lasting uh, or long-term consumer ex expectation and optimism survey. It was interesting there, late November, consumers expressed less optimism than at any other point in the last decade for their own finances as well as the overall economy. I think inflation has gotten people's attention. It's a new thing for a lot of folks. And then I worry ab about the leftovers from Portland and Seattle's excitement uh, in uh, 2020 and 21, the spillover to other parts of the region. Things to watch for in 2022. Watch for the supply chain situation to improve. That's going to be key from an inflation standpoint, from a production standpoint. Watch the labor force. The first Friday of every month, okay, the labor, the employment data comes out. The participation rate, 61.8% now. It's starting, it's rising. Hopefully that's going to continue as those people who have dropped out come back in. Evidence of inflation moderating. 
consistent with that transitory notion. The COVID path. I mean, we saw the shock that came right after Thanksgiving. What kind of variations and what kind of responses? You've already seen shutdowns in parts of Europe. The fiscal policy path, the infrastructure bill. You know, you can pass, but can, but can you build? Okay. I mean, I'm always fascinated by where the construction worker is going to come from. The safety net and climate bill. We don't know the fate of it at this point in time. And watch the financial markets with the tapering. The Fed started tapering uh, in November and continued and perhaps increased the rate in December. How will the financial markets respond to that, uh, to that uh, event? Well, a lot of you know that at the end of my presentations at this time of the year, I have a, a, a poem and I will close with that. 2020 opened with the 12th year in sight. Inflation was still low and labor markets remained tight. Then from Wuhan, wet markets or the lab COVID-19 did appear. Our connected world meant that problems there were soon here. Governors and mayors responded with a crescendo of rules, closures, and regulations. The brakes were applied to an apprehensive nation. The economy peaked in February, said the NBER's referees. A plummeting Q2 GDP erased a decade's hiring spree. Fed policymakers responded with speed and lessons of the last episode. The funds rate went back to near zero, and in with liquidity they rode. Fiscal policy reacted at a rarely seen pace. Checks and electrons enveloped us like morning dew. Forgivable loans, extra unemployment, manna from governments, uh, airlines, hospitals, and the self-employed too. The May 2020 job count started up and the long climb continues from a very deep hole. An income cushion was provided for a while to keep firms and people whole. The recession ended after a two-month stay. Output recovered in mid-21, and the labor markets are still about four million jobs away. We're not the same place that we were last year. The virus via Delta and Omicron remains something to fear. Things are being done differently in nearly all aspects of our lives, masking, distancing, and working in plexiglass hives. Stock markets soared with low rates, stronger earnings, and a TINA belief. Net worth jumped by trillions. <coughs> Homes, equities, savings, and debt relief. <coughs> Home prices leaped with 3% loans, little supply, demographics, and preferences altered. Tighter lending implied no repetition of the 2006 to 9 falter. A continuing upturn is the likely course for this year in 2022. Pfizer, J&J, &J, and Moderna jabs are the keys for this to come true. People's behavior in all their decision-making roles is the known unknown. Consumers, anti-vaxxers, investors, parents, 
policymakers and entrepreneurs for the businesses they own. Inflation leapt to discomforting levels far above the Fed's target of two. Pandemic arithmetic, liquidity, supply chain disruptions, and a random event stew. Ever given winter storms, COVID infection, plant fires, and a South American drought. Transitory, says the Fed, but the taper is starting, hoping to avoid last time's rout. Jerome Powell will stay down, but the context has changed. Inflation too high and labor markets still shy of their pre-pandemic range. Elevated financial markets, soaring federal debt pose a conundrum for the board. If pressures are not transitory, they will soon be forced to unleash their sword. Help wanted signs abound amidst a lower participation rate. Fear old boomers close schools, paid not to work are rationales for this state. Rising wages, open schools, more vaccinations, reduced benefits may soon end the anomaly. The stage may be set for a productivity surge as we move towards a new normality. Fiscal policy is in flux with a trillion dollar infrastructure plan passed on which R&Ds agreed. Roads, broadband, airports, transit, rail, and other hardware we may someday see. An additional $2 trillion for government entitled expansion is being crafted a la LBJ. The next few months will have much for the body politic to weigh. Thank you for your attention. Our entire office specializes in multifamily real estate, making HFO the largest multifamily brokerage in the Pacific Northwest. Your success is our passion. Build your legacy with HFO. Call 503-241-5541 or visit our website at hfore.com for more information.